We're in a series in 2 Corinthians. We've been walking through this series together. And I promised you we'd go verse by verse, line by line. And we would, we would take in some places, we would, we would just take it very slow. And I felt God prompt me and t- kind of slow everything down when we got to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. In those couple of verses, verses 17 through 19, there's just so much theology in there about just the gospel, what is the gospel, and assurance of salvation, and how are you saved, and all of those gospel issues that I believe is so important for every one of us to understand, especially especially when we're walking through difficult times. So last week, we just started this deep dive, and for the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll stay and we'll just kind of hang in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses, uh, verses uh, 15, 17 through 19. And then today, I'm also going to use Galatians chapter 6, verse 26, and we're going to make our way all the way to chapter 4, verse 7, as we just unpack this. I've entitled this message, Learning to Live, I'm sorry, Living as a Child. For some of us, it's a spiritual journey, right? It's learning to live as a child. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and then we're going to unpack this. And, and I am, listen, I am praying that maybe you'll understand the gospel and the gospel implications just a little bit deeper in what, what he offers you. Verse 17, here's, here's what Paul writes in verse 17. He says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, believer, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has been reconciled, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And so we've been in this series and we've been talking about what it means to live in freedom, what it means to live in forgiveness, what it means to live in an identity of, of Christ. You see, today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this issue of, of, of adoption or reconciliation. Paul mentioned that word reconciliation several different times. And last week, if you were with us, we looked at justification. Just as if I'd never sinned, that when you become a Christian at that moment, it's the gracious act of God that declares us righteous. Uh, solely based on our faith in Jesus Christ. uh, Justification simply means that you and I are right with God when we accept him. And guess what? It is not a process. You're not trying to work your way into heaven. You're not trying to earn salvation. It is not a process. It is a one-time event that you're justified. And your righteousness, listen, your righteousness is not dependent upon how well you did this last week, uh, how much you read your Bible, how much you studied, uh, how much you prayed. It is not based upon, your righteousness not based upon what you did. You're not trying, to, listen, you are not trying to earn your righteousness on a daily basis. It's based on, when you look at it just theologically, it's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God looks through Jesus Christ And he pronounces us not guilty. And then you see this word reconciliation. This word reconciliation in their time and even in the scriptures was like one party bringing two parties together. What? To to reconcile. It's this issue of reconciliation. So, So Jesus Christ came to this earth. He reconciled us, bringing us uh, to, to, to God. And so when we, when we become God's child, that's through adoption and justification. God declares us righteous. And in adoption, God says we're loved. 
he declares us not guilty. I mean, if maybe, maybe we could think of it this way, because I really want you to understand this, and I've thought of several different illustrations, and I'll, I'll, I'll lay some of those out as we walk through this. And so may, maybe it'd be like this. Maybe you get caught at a crime, and you know you're guilty. I mean, you were caught red-handed. You were caught with the evidence. You know you're guilty. Everybody knows you're guilty. You go into a courtroom scene, and you stand before a judge, and you have that guilt, you know you're guilty, you're now just wondering what kind of punishment are you going to receive. And all of a sudden, that judge stands up. And to your shock and to your amazement, he goes, you are not guilty. And it doesn't end there. It's not like he quickly moves on to the, the next case, and all of a sudden, he walks down, he grabs a set of keys, he un undoes your, your handcuffs and your shackles. And then he looks at you and said, I want you to come home with me. And I want you to live as my son. I want you to come into my family. That, that's what the God of the universe does when he adopts us. He declares us right in justification, and he declares us loved, a son in adoption. And so what, is, what does it mean to have God as a father? Do you, do you know that if you're in Christ, you're his child? This text, and we're going to walk through Galatians chapter 3 together, and this ta text uses the word son a lot. And listen, there. are there's a reason behind that. It's not because like Paul was some chauvinist or anything like that. Um, the reason is, is in first century culture, what he's trying to communicate to that culture and even to our culture. In first century culture, the son received the family's inheritance. And so all of a sudden, Paul in Galatians, I mean, this is powerful. Paul in Galatians begins to start talking about this issue. The first implication of the gospel broke down every barrier. I mean, it, it broke down every barrier. Now it doesn't matter gender, ethnic background, you receive an inheritance. I mean, when Paul said this, it was countercultural. Uh, anyone who is in Christ has rights and the privileges of a son. And we're all together in the family of God. Verse 1, we'll just start walking through this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, now I, now I say that as long as there, the heir is a child... He differs in no way from a slave, though he is, he is the owner of everything. And so what Paul is trying to help them understand in their culture, help us understand in our culture, he said at one time, at one time as a child, you were, you were like a slave or you were like a, a servant in your household and you had, you had people that watched over you and, and you had no like real security and they, they watched over you. But there was a, there was a point. There's a point that you became a son, and you had full rights, and you had full privileges as a son, and, but, but we're not automatically sons of God. And so verse 4, he goes on, he says, he said, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so what Paul's saying, that God sent his one and only son. So that we might receive position, positionally, as sons. And this happened, what Paul is saying, this happened at the right time. It was at the right time that God brought us 
together. There was an appointed time is what Scripture says, and there's an appointed time. Guess what? There's an appointed time when Jesus Christ is coming back. Aren't you glad? Verse 4, he just goes on. He said, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So God sent his son. He is fully divine, not a created son, a pre-existent son. And God came on his behalf. He came himself. But he was also, and it's kind of confusing, he was also fully human. He was born of a woman. He was fully human. He was born in the natural way. And the most significant thing regarding his birth is found in the identity of a baby in a manger. Fully divine and fully human. Fully righteous, born under the law. Not just born a man, but a Jewish man under Jewish law who would be raised in a Jewish family and go to Jewish synagogue and would not just know the law of God, but he would be the one that would fulfill it. I don't know if you know this about adoption, but we know, our family knows in a very personal way. Adoption's not accidental. Adoption is intentional. There's no such thing as an accidental adoption. You don't adopt someone just accidentally. To adopt someone is intentional. Especially these days, to adopt someone, there has to be a plan. There has to be a desire. There has to be a willingness to put the commitment and the work in, verse 4 or verse 5, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, this is, listen, this is not accidental. This is very intentional. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5, Paul needed to, to help the church there in Ephesus to understand this in a different way. Here's what he writes. He said, blessed is God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ. For guess what? He chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ himself and according to the good pleasure of his will. When we accept him, we've been adopted into the family, his family. I don't know if you know anything about adoption. I, I, I'll tell you a story real quickly. I, I have a really close friend. He lives in Texas. And this is back in the 80s when, when it was a little bit more difficult in those times to, to adopt internationally. And him and his wife, they, had, they felt prompted of God. And, and they knew of these three children. They were older. They were early teens. They knew of these three children in Russia. And they decided God heard their story. They heard that they would probably never be adopted. They, were, they had lived their whole life up until this point in the orphanage there in Russia. Him and his wife, listen, him and his wife didn't know any Russian. These kids didn't know any English. And so my friend and his wife traveled to Russia, adopted these three kids with this major language barrier. They had an interpreter until they got on the plane. He talks about their first layover when they needed to get the kids a shower and the language barrier and just trying to explain to them about hot water, cold water, because there was no such thing where they're from. They thought it was kind of black magic or voodoo or something. And they had this major language barrier. These kids had a lot of challenges, and they knew that. They, they knew these kids were going to have a lot of challenges. And they adopted them anyway, and, and today all, all the kids have, have, have college degrees and jobs and these other things. But 
But they had one son. They had one son that was, had a difficult childhood. And my friend was bailing his son out of trouble again in his late teens, early 20s. And they're sitting there together, and his son looks over at him and said, Dad, do you love me? He says, of course I do. You're my son. He goes, why? Why do you love me? He said, you're my son. I'd bail you out any time. He goes, no, Dad, I, what's the proof? What, why? Just why? And he says, son, your mother and I, we traveled thousands upon thousands of miles to come and get you and adopt you. And I'm telling you tonight, Jesus Christ traveled great distances to adopt you. To redeem you. I mean, when you look at this, it's just a picture. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, that while we were living like a not perfect life, or maybe a little bit stronger, a sinful life, following the, the, the rules of this world. And, and listen, when you, when you look at the language of Ephesians, it's crazy. I mean, we're not described as orphans without a father, but we're described as orphans who rejected a father. I mean... We have said, what Ephesians says, we have said we don't, we don't want him. And we're not, like my friends, kids from Russia, we're not great prospects for adoption. And yet, he still came while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners. He still came. There was nothing in us to draw him to us. Yet he determined before the foundations of this world to adopt us. And he was willing to like pay the price. Do you understand? As a child of God. That you are deeply loved in him. You're totally and completely forgiven. And when you go through those seasons and when you go through those times and you doubt the love of God, and you doubt if God loves you, you can remember. He came to get you. He came to rescue you. He came to redeem you because he wanted you in his family, and he sent his one and only son so that you can have through him a position in his family as a son, and he sent his spirit to draw you to him. Verse 6, in Galatians, it says, When the time came to completion... God sent his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, this is important, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. A slave, just in case you don't know, a slave, there's like, there's like no security in the family. You're always trying to work your way in. You're never really a family member. And now he says you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then God has made you. It's crazy. God has made you an heir. And he's broken down all barriers, all gender barriers, all ethic, ethnic barriers, all social barriers. I mean, you just see this all over Scripture. And your status before God is based on what God has done for you, what Jesus has done for you on the cross. 
So just, just three things tonight as we just, we just walk through this. And listen, the reason, the reason this is so important, and it's a lifelong battle, I believe, for all of us. But the reason that this is so important, because if we, if we don't believe we're truly approved by God and we're deeply loved by him, then you know what we'll try to do? We'll try to get that approval from people. And as long as certain people feel a certain way about us, then we feel approved, we feel adequate, and we feel loved. But when, listen, when you understand, when you understand the approval of Jesus Christ, and, and I'll just tell you this, and I've learned this firsthand, if Jesus Christ's approval is not enough for you, nobody else's approval on the face of this earth will help. But when you and I understand that we're approved by God, we are deeply loved by him. We are perfect and complete, not lacking anything. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. Let's give you three things just real quickly, and we'll pray. Three principles for us to understand. The first one is this, is we are immersed in Christ. We are immersed. That's what he says, verse 27, Galatians chapter 4. He said, for those of you who were baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. And so what he's talking about, he's talking about when you accept Christ, that, that you have identified with his death, burial, and his resurrection, and that all of a sudden you have been clothed uh, with Christ. And so, but this is also why, and listen, I talk about this often, this is why baptism is so important. A circumcision is not the identifying mark of a Christian. It is baptism. And so he's saying that, you know what? As a believer, our next step is beca after becoming a child of God is that we follow through and we're baptized by immersion. Baptism is like this outward appearance, this outward thing, showing, signifying what has already taken place in our heart. We are identifying with Christ. We're telling everybody that we're a follower of Christ. I mean, it's the first command that he gives us as followers is to, is to be baptized and to follow him in baptism. And, and baptism is just a New Testament picture that's saying that our lives, the old life is gone, the new life is come, and that we're a new person, we're a new creation, and we identified with him, and we identify with him. And so baptism for a follower of Christ is not an option. It's something that is like commanded in the scriptures. If you Listen, if you have never been biblically baptized, we would love to help you. 25 years here, we've baptized well over, uh, over 2,000 people that Fellowship of the Rockies has baptized, and we would love to help you through that journey. Whether you're watching online, whether you're in person, uh, online, you can just click connect card and let us know several ways that you can do that here. The second thing is this that we just need to know is we're, we're, we're one in Christ. The first thing the gospel did, the first implication of the gospel is break down all kinds of barriers. So listen, I'm telling you, for believers, it is no longer us versus them. We're one. We are one. And we're in this together, and we're a family. Verse 27, for those of you who are baptized into Christ, you have also been clothed with Christ. And so he starts talking about breaking down racial and social and gender barriers. Verse 28, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. So let's be clear, just, just touch on this. He is not saying that the distinctions are gone. 
The distinctions are still there. But what he is saying is this, is those distinctions no longer divide us. The gospel, Christ, builds a bridge. We are one in Christ. We no longer have barriers between one another. Aren't you glad the, the ground at the cross is level? No one is better than the other. No one is more superior than the other. No one is better or worse than the other. See, this is a, this is a big problem. This is a big problem in this culture. And it's a big problem in our culture as well, but it was really a problem in, in the, the, the church here in Galatia that Paul is writing into. The, this group came in. They were called Judaizers, and the Judaizers were saying and spreading all through the church, and it was us versus them, and the Judaizers were saying that people, the Jews were better than the Gentiles because the Gentiles were grafted in, and so all of a sudden this is seeping into the church, and Paul is like about ready to lose his mind. And Paul is like, no. No, the first implication of the gospel, it broke down all barriers. The ground is level at the cross. Nobody is better or worse than the other. We all needed Christ. We all needed him. I mean, it's an amazing thing if you've ever traveled, um, if you've ever traveled on a mission trip, right? Uh, whether it's Haiti, whether it's, you know, I've been in Haiti, I've been in Poland, Dominican Republic, uh, uh, Africa. Uh, I've been several places. And here's the amazing thing. We may have cultural barriers uh, or cultural differences. We may have different languages that we speak. But there's something bizarre. When we touch down in Africa or when we touch down in Poland or wherever we're doing missions, we may meet each other first time. They may be in a different country. They may speak a different language. They may have a different skin color. But all of a sudden, it's like re it's, a, it's a reunion. It's like family. It's like we're connected. It's like we're one. It's an amazing. This is what Paul is talking about. We're, we're not all separate in Christ. We are one in Christ, verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And now, now what Paul begins to start doing, he starts tying it, especially for the, the Jewish people, uh, the Judaizers. He starts trying to help them. He starts trying to tie in the Old Testament with the New Testament. One of the easiest ways, and I'll come back to this, one of the easiest ways to understand the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so sometimes the reasons we get confused about the Old Testament is we forget which covenant that people group is under. There's several different covenants in the Old Testament. And so in the New Testament, there's one covenant, Jesus Christ. And, G and when we meet Christ, we enter into a covenant with him. And so Paul, for, for the Jewish believers in his church, he was tying this back to Abraham. You're Abraham's seed. And what he was saying is this. Guess what now? We all have unity. Jews, Gentiles, when you come to Christ, we all have unity. And he ties it into Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And, and he says, and we all, in Christ, we all share in this inheritance. The third and the last thing is this, is we have intimacy with Christ. Man, we have intimacy with Christ. Verse 6, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer, listen, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer working hard enough and just trying to measure up, but you are a son. Oh, and if a son, 
then God has made you an heir. And that, that, that term just Abba, Father, in Scripture, it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a it was an intimate term for God. I mean, he, 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 he's our Father. Jesus used this term for God in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he cried out to God, he used this term in Romans chapter 8. When he didn't, he didn't have the words. You ever gone through a time and you didn't have the words to pray? And you just kind of groaned in the old covenant, Old Testament, Exodus chapter 19, when, when God gave his law to the people. If you remember, a cloud covered um, and smoke was over the mountain and the mountain started to tremble and, of course, it got the people's attention and he's about to give his law to the people. And, and then only Moses, right? Only Moses was allowed to go up and meet with God and God said, everyone else stay away because the law condemns men to in his sin and, and so don't get, get near to God. And as a result of that, there's a little bit of fear in the Old Testament. And then you come to the New Testament, and it says once we're set free from the law, we don't approach God any longer out of fear. We approach him with confidence and intimacy that he's Abba. He's our, he's, our, he's our father. And only a few times in the Old Testament can you find a place where people approach God with, without fear. But guess what? In the New Covenant, as New Testament believers... We can approach God with fear on a daily basis, without fear on a daily basis. And we can cry out to God. When we, when we receive that news, we never thought we'd imagine receiving. The doctor's report. Circumstances that come into your life that you never thought you'd have to deal with. When you don't know what to do. There's no earthly answer. And you turn to God and you cry out without fear. Because you know you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child. And in him, you're deeply loved. You're perfect and you're complete. You have a father in heaven that cares for you, who holds you who walks with you. See, this is the picture, and Paul is just like drilling in on this. This is the picture of a son and not of a slave. What kind of father do you have? Do you feel like, even though you're in the family, even though you're a child, do you still kind of feel like a slave? And you're trying to check off some block, block boxes and just do enough right to feel good about yourself and turn in a good grade so you'll have more favor with God? Or do you understand that you're a son or a daughter, a child of God, and there's nothing, listen, there's nothing you can do to get him to love you less, and there's nothing you can do to get him to love you more because he already loves you. He has adopted you. He has given his life for you, and by faith through grace, we accept that, and Christ has saved us. My question is, especially in the season that we're in, do you have intimacy with God? This is the privilege of a son and a daughter, a child. As a son, we're guaranteed, and as a daughter, we're guaranteed an inheritance. And you have this eternal father 
that says you belong. You belong. I'm worried. There may be some people in this room. There may be some people viewing online who have never really had intimacy with the Father. And you understand who you are in Christ. If you have never accepted him. And I pray you would just come to a place and ask him to come in your life. Give you the gift of eternal life. Adopt you. Maybe you know him. But maybe life, and especially 2020 and now 2021, I mean, wouldn't it be crazy in 2021 if we go, oh, I wish it was 2020 again. <laughs> it's not starting off so good. <laughs> we have a granddaughter who's adopted. And so we, we got her. We got her when she was, she was three days old. Picked her up to the hospital as a family. And we celebrated and we cheered and it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, she's, a, she's a full hand now, so she's five years old. It's common knowledge in our family that she was adopted. We talk about it. She's gotten to that age that she's infatuated and she wants you to she wants to hear the story when we came to the hospital to get her. She loves that story. And she wants to scroll through your phone and look at pictures and here while back we were with them and I'm sitting in the pop-pop chair. I mean, yes, I have a I'm, you know, I have a chair at their house too. And so I'm in the pop-pop chair and all the kids know do not get in that chair when when I'm there. That's my chair. And so I'm sitting in the pop-pop chair, and she comes up and gets in my lap. And, and so she starts talking about when we came to the hospital. And she, she says, Pop-pop, I love that story. Tell, tell me that story. And then before I could tell her the story, she says, my mama, my mama just told me that story too. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was an exciting time. If, you know, your, your mom and, and your aunt were in, in Texas at the time. And they were visiting my mom, your great-grandmother. They get a call that you were available. They got on a plane. They flew through the night. As soon as we finished services on Sunday, Nana and I got in the car. We came up to the hospital. And then, and then I mean, when we saw you the first time, we cheered. We celebrated. It was an exciting time. And then all of a sudden, she looks at me, and she giggles, and she puts her hands over. And she says, Pop, Pop, my mama told me. You cried. And then she giggled. She goes, that's crazy. I didn't know you could cry. <laughs> she goes, did you cry? I said, I cried. I cried. I said, you know when I really cried? Is when the judge said, you're ours. Because I knew, I knew, from that point on, you're in the family. From that point on, there, there is nothing, there's nothing, nothing you can do to get kicked out of this family. Nothing. You're ours. That's adoption. A couple of ways you can get into a family. You can be 
born into a family, you can be adopted into a family. A couple of ways you get into a Christian, to, to a child, a son, a daughter of God. You're born again, and if you're born again, the Scripture says, how can you be unborn again? Or you can be adopted and listen to Ephesians and Romans and Corinthians talks about this issue of adoption. And the reason Paul chose this language, because in their time, in their culture, you could disown a biological child, but you could not disown an adopted child. And Paul is hammering this. In case you don't know, that's the implications for us. Guess what? You cannot lose your salvation. You are his. You have been adopted in to the family. Your fellowship with him at various times may be difficult, but your relationship, son or daughter, will always stay intact. See, here's the crazy thing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God was, is a covenant-making God. And he made covenants with his people over and over and over. In the Old Testament, remember, he'd make covenants with David and Abraham. And God never backed out of a covenant. God never broke a covenant because a covenant for him was based upon his character, based upon him, and he's faithful. Remember David, King David? David entered into a covenant with God. Isn't it a good thing he lived a perfect life after that? If you remember, David committed adultery, put his men at risk, had a child out of wedlock, and then had a man murdered. But God is a covenant-keeping God. That's why in Psalm 51, you can read it for yourself when you go home. David prays in Psalm 51. And said, God, restore to me the joy. This is important, the joy of my salvation. He hadn't lost his salvation. He lost the joy. The fellowship was wounded because of his actions. But the relationship was still intact. And when you as a believer and I, when we accept him, we're in what is called the new covenant. And we're in his. We're his. And now, our motivation for living the Christian life is not out of fear not trying to earn our way or get work, work our way into the family. Our mo motivation is out of love. We just want to please him. And so we serve him naturally. We represent him naturally because he's a loving father. He's a good father. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? whether you're watching online, whether you're in person, maybe you've never come to the place to where you've accepted him. If you're online and you're watching live right now, we have live prayer partners. Click that live prayer button right now. 
And a prayer partner will meet you in a virtual room and they will have a conversation with you. And you just ask him, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I want to enter into a covenant, the new covenant with you. You came to this earth fully God, fully man. You died on a cross the third day. You rose again for the forgiveness of my sins. And because of that, positionally, I am yours. I am yours. I'm your child. And nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of yours. Maybe you've done that. and Maybe right now, maybe you just need to be reminded. I don't think we can hear this too much. God loves you. God loves you. Regardless of the week you've had, regardless if you missed a day reading scripture, regardless if you said something you shouldn't have said or done something, listen, he loves you. He is a covenant-keeping God. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that when we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Complete, perfect, deeply loved, lacking nothing. And Father, may we just grow in that so we don't try to get approval from other people. May your approval of us be enough. For we ask these sayings in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we close in our, for our benediction? If you made a decision of any kind, we, listen, we want to know about it. There's a QR code that you can stand, scan with your phone, and if so, the Connect card comes up, and you do it digitally, electronically, and then uh, let us know if you'd like to be baptized, you've accepted Christ, you'd like to talk with a pastor, whatever. You can do it. Online as well, up the top of the page is a, a drop-down connect card. You click that, it goes directly to a pastor. You, you just complete that. And we would love to know about that. Well, last week we just started using Jude as our benediction because we just need to be reminded of this. For 200, 300 years of the early church, they would simply read this as a benediction, a prayer, a reminder of who they are in Christ. Here's what it says. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever and ever. Amen. I pray you receive the, the word of the Lord. May the peace of Christ be with you this week. God bless you. Thank you for being here.